behavior, bitches. All right, today is episode number 17. The rhyme for today is 1-7, I'm in frickin' heaven. And the reason for that is we just had an emergency where Liat, I think, is probably going to the emergency room, so send her your prayers. But we are committed AF to bringing you an episode Monday morning. So I could have said, no, we're not doing this, but we are going to do this because we have one of the most amazing people ever on this podcast. I am so excited. We're going to get all into that. But first, a little housekeeping. Um, We have created now, this is our 17th podcast in less than five months. That is something to be super excited about. I can't believe it. It's averaging, if you want to take the data, 3.4 podcasts per month. But most recently, as our podcasting producer knows, we are getting them out every single week. And we are so incredibly excited to bring them to you. We now have Patreon where you can go and sign up and support us and get some cool shit in exchange. Um, We really, really love this. It's growing every day and we're so happy. Um, The other thing is that you can go and subscribe on our Instagram, which is growing so fast. Um, Behavior Bitches podcast on Instagram, Behavior Bitches podcast on Facebook. Again, it's not a running joke anymore because it's kind of stupid. Our um, actual (laughs) website (laughs) is just, you know, if you know, if you're a website producer out there and you are wanting to donate your time, please help us help a girl out. Okay. But as always, we'll do a five-star review of the day. We're so lucky and grateful for the people that leave reviews. We have, um, this one comes from effing amazing. Okay. BCBA to B is your name. If you are hearing this, reach out to us and say that you heard us. Um, as an inspiring BC, or BCBA behavior analyst who plans to sit for the BCBA exam in the next cycle, I just have to tell you all that listening to this podcast is the highlight of my week. The topics are broad enough that my fiance enjoys it. Wow. That's awesome. And the behavior principles are worked in perfectly. You cannot beat the real life application. I can feel like I'm being productive in my preparing for my exam while driving to and from work, smiling and laughing the entire time. This podcast is definitely increasing the future frequency of my studying behavior. That is positive reinforcement, you guys. Thank you, Leah and Casey, for masking or making behavior analysis so fun and relatable to those outside of our field. Love, love, love it. Thank you so much, BCBA to B. You are going to be a BCBA, especially if you're in our collective you're definitely going to be a BCBA. Um, all right. So I will do a quick little breakdown on, um, this is, we were doing a podcast by myself soon enough. We're going to have the best guests in the world and it's going to be fine. Um, but I was in the shower this morning and I was thinking about the fact that when we first started this podcast, we had like my sister, Liat's sister, my best friend, like, (laughs) uh, uh, Liat's BCBA supervisor. We were, you know, trying to build this topic so it wasn't so pigeonholed into one, you know, the autistic field, which we love so much, but trying to expand that and um, show how behavior analysis is relatable in every single thing we do. But we, our guests were just, you know, you know, we're building it from the ground up. So we just had family and friends. And then to have the guests we have on today, who I will tell you a little backstory, um, a year ago, I listened to a podcast on SR Plus, plugging them. They're a great podcast. Dr. Aaron Blocker-Rubin had on this guest. I remember listening to her and I was like, immediately I needed to be her best friend. I needed to see her. I needed to meet her and figure out how she started her business because that's what I wanted to do. So I 
heard that she was speaking at a business builder um, conference in Georgia. I convinced, I'm just an RBT at this point, not just RBT. You guys are the friggin' lifeline. Okay. Not just, I was an RBT at this point, but I convinced my work to send me out to Georgia because I was going to be this business builder and I had to see her. Um, anyways, uh, I'll go into that story a little bit later in the episode, but the point is I can't even believe I get to interview this guest. So without further ado, I'm going to talk a little bit about her before we introduce her. I want to build it up a little foreplay for you guys. Um, but as newly minted BCBAs for Leah and us, um, we're so excited to have the opportunity to introduce and interview today's guest. She is a force to be reckoned with in the field. She has over 20 years experience and her accomplishments will blow you away. She has a master's degree in special education from San Francisco State University. While she was in the special ed program, she was convinced or told to take a intro to behavior analysis class. And from then on, as she says, it was game over. I feel you on that. She became a BCBA in 2004, the same year she founded STE Consultants, which she grew like crazy over the past 15 years. She is the past president of Cal ABBA, and she serves on the board of directors as vice president of CASP, the Council of Autism Service Pro Providers. If I'm wrong with anything, she'll correct me when she comes on. Don't worry. She is dedicated to the field and making a difference in the lives of everyone she meets. Her personality is huge, and she is unapologetically herself which is why I love her. She has the best sneaker collection ever, and you can usually catch her presenting at conferences while rocking her high tops. Her goal is to be the Oprah of ABA in terms of disseminating the science and connecting people in the field. She will be the first one to tell you that this board exam does not define you. She is a badass motivational rock star BCBA and mom to two of the hippest kids I've ever seen. She fights for what she believes in and is a pioneer for all behavior analysts. She has presented at over 30 conferences. Holy shit. Her uh, ability to talk and speak so eloquently amazes me. Um, she is presenting at Tex ABBA on October 11th, 11th and it's going to be off the hook. Liat and I are both going to be there. There's a link in our show notes. You should go sign up. You should get there. It will change your life. So without further ado... I welcome you, Sarah Trotman Esslinger. I woke up like this. Welcome, girl. Oh my gosh. That's a really big buildup. I mean, I feel like I have to deliver. You know you what have, I mean? You have to. That's really, kind of what it was. And then until I put the Beyonce in there, too. Jeez. Queen B, baby. We are so happy. <laughs> I say we, like I'm with Leah right now. She, guys, she's here in spirit. Um, things happen in life and we're rolling with it because guess what? We're not letting you down for the Monday talk, especially this episode because this is going to be amazing. Um, oh, yeah. We are women that deliver. We are women that deliver. So let's amen. do it. So mm -hmm. first off, um, we had a chance to talk with Sarah a little bit. She has an amazing backstory her hustle, her motivation, her dedication, everything about her inspires me. And I want you guys to feel this level of energy today where you're like, I'm going to go crush the world and do anything I can do. Because guess what? You can. But there are so many things that we're going to learn from Sarah today. So first, I just want you, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about you and what makes you the badass behavior analyst you've become. Because we can sit here all day and fangirl over you. I could literally do that forever. <laughs> <laughs> but tell us about you. Just, you know, bring us back and tell us where you started, how you sure. grew. Yes. 
this is I will I will start at the beginning. Uh, so I was this you know curly haired girl that grew up in Seattle. Um, I was in high school during the age of the grunge era, so I thought I was tragically hip. I had my Doc Martens and my Birkenstocks, and I tried to get a tattoo before I was 18, and it was a disaster. Um, and and I really didn't want to know what I wanted to do for college, so I basically went to the school that gave me the most money. I thought that that was a good that was a good choice. So I went to Gonzaga University for undergrad which is in the charming town of Spokane, Washington. And by charming, I mean, it's a terrible place to live, but it is a wonderful, tremendous university. And as one of the, you know, the students that had to work her way through school, so I wasn't saddled with student loan debt, I got a job in the work-study department, uh, or, or I work-study job in the special ed department at Gonzaga. And all of these special ed professors were all these things called behavior analysts which I had absolutely no idea what that meant. They had, most of them had gone to the University of Kansas together, which again, I was like not understanding the significance of that university's role in our field. And they just basically harangued me until I acquiesced and said I would take an intro to behavior analysis class. Because I thought, of course, that I would become an attorney and make lots of money and live a fantastic life. Well, it turns out I had no idea what I was thinking and talking about. Because when I started taking the Intro to Behavior Analysis class with Randy Williams, and this is in the fall of 1996, my life changed. I was exposed to the science and understanding of how we behave that made so much sense to me. And to think that our behavior uh, can be changed based on changing stimuli in our environment and that it, operant conditioning is a thing and understanding how it works just really blew my mind. But also what I really loved is the way that my professors taught. They taught us to fluency. Um, they really wanted us to master concepts. And it made me feel like I was home. And so I decided to major in special education. And I was the first person out of Gonzaga University that instead of graduating with a teaching credential, graduated with an emphasis in functional assessment. And now wow, I've never heard of that. I've never heard of the emphasis, emphasis in functional assessment. Yes. It was really, wow. it was really interesting. But here are some very strategic things that happened to me that really have helped my journey along the way. One, Stephanie Peterson, who's now the chair of the psychology department at Western Michigan University and an amazing behavior analyst in her own right. I was one of her first advisees out of her PhD program. So I got to work with her for a year in undergrad. And when I left Gonzaga, or actually I didn't leave, I actually graduated. This is an important thing to note. I did graduate. <laughs> nice. I was recruited to teach at a school in the Bay Area for kids with severe developmental disabilities and severe behavior disorders. And my boss, and the reason that I took that job was Tyra Sellers, who is now the director of ethics for the BACB. And at that time, Thomas Higby, who is a fantastic professor and researcher at Utah State University now, was the head clinician at Spectrum. So I have been, while in somewhat of a more non-traditional route with some of my education, because my master's degree isn't in behavior analysis, I've been the beneficiary of working with some pretty amazing mentors and clinicians along the way. And so I took this job at Spectrum Center, I taught for a year, then I parlayed it into a consulting job where I got to work with public schools all throughout the Bay Area, for which I was totally and utterly unqualified, but I talked my way into it. 
And then I did my master's degree. I was able to sit for the, the board exam. And I think I told you, Casey, it was so funny. I, this is like some old school stuff because I've been board certified for 15 years. I sat in this auditorium at UC Berkeley where they sat one of us in a chair in a space, one of us in a chair in a space. And I did my BCBA exam using a Scantron form. And Was that like the SAT when you would color in dots? Oh, for sure. Yes, I know. This is like this is very <laughs> challenging probably for a, a lot of your young audience members to try to conceptualize. And I remember taking the test and I went home and I fell asleep for three hours and I was certain that I had in fact failed. And also this is now at the beginning of the internet. Keep in mind, this is 2004. So your test results were mailed to you. So there was no portal at that time. There was a BACB portal. And so I received this little envelope, maybe like six or seven weeks later, with my certificate stating that I had, in fact, passed the exam. And that was really the beginning of it all. And I started STE Consultants the same year I became a board-certified behavior analyst. I have had the opportunity to work with some of the best clinicians I know to help grow my business and to work on a lot of different business verticals, whether it's early intervention, whether it's working with adults and teens, working in schools, working in community settings, working in homes. And I did that for 15 years until I was successfully able to sell and exit my business this past June. So this journey of from, from 1996 until 2019 has been, I believe, one of the best gifts of my life. And I made it um, a priority for me. And I knew that I was going to sell my business and do something else, that I wanted to spend the remainder of my career supporting this growing field, especially supporting behavior analysts that are new to the practice and welcoming everybody with open arms and really trying to produce quality events, trying to speak at great conferences, attend, be on podcasts, disseminate on social media to really help provide mentorship, leadership, and clinical skills uh, to this young group of people that are charged with disseminating this amazing science that changes lives. And so that's why I'm here. Sarah, that is Exactly. Exactly why we wanted to have you on here. I mean, can you guys not just be like, whoa, I have goosebumps all over my body. I just want to run out and disseminate ABA and learn everything I can. And you guys, this is what I'm talking about. I listened to her podcast a year ago when I hadn't even taken my board exam. Okay. And I wanted to go out and see her so bad. I had to go learn how to become a business builder. And I will say, and I know we're going to get into this later in the episode, but it is not easy to start your own business. I know people that pass their exam are like, I'm going to work for myself and go out and start a business. After going to that conference, I just want you to know, Sarah, I learned so much. I was educated and I needed a lot more experience to be a safe disseminator and provider of ABA. I could mm -hmm. not just go do it right away. And that yep. was a, a, a big awakening for me as a person who is so motivated and wants to change the world like tomorrow and is, you know, always 15 steps ahead. And, you know, I, I can do everything. I'm a control freak, but no, I had to really look at the fact that I mm -hmm. needed to get the experience. Cause what you mentioned, what you were talking about is the mentors that you had. I mean, mm -hmm. Tyra Sellers and Tom, Tom Higby, those are big people. And I, unfortunately in New Hampshire where I live, um, I've, I've got some people around here, but I need that um, mentorship that I'm looking for, which is where my next yeah. step is, is connecting with a bunch of people in the field and growing um, my actual knowledge of 
ABA yes. and applying it. I've got 10 years of applied setting with adults. I need a lot more with children. I know, I know my areas of what I need, but when I, um, you know, had this opportunity to have you on here, I'm like, we are going to get to tell all the newly BCBAs, you know, what exactly it takes this, you know, Sarah started in 2004, you guys, and started her own business. Mm -hmm. She will go into a little bit more about that now, but I'm telling mm -hmm. you what the most important thing, supervision. Okay. You need yep. good supervision, right, Sarah? Absolutely. And also I think something that people need to keep in mind is when people are engaged in graduate work and graduate behavior analytic coursework, you know, you're, this is great foundational skills in terms of your clinical knowledge, but you're not necessarily being exposed to two other really strong skill sets that you're going to need in order to be an effective clinician. And those are operational expertise and effective leadership. Um, they are not necessarily discreetly taught in graduate programs because that's, that's not the, the thrust of the graduate program. The graduate program is to make sure that you have the foundational knowledge and the technical application of our science to be able to be effective. But in order to be a practitioner, and in order to supervise staff, in order to work with uh, tons of different types of families, in order to have cultural competencies, in order to build rapport with your clients and your staff, there's a lot of other skill sets you need. And so that's really, I'm really glad that you stated that you came away from the business boot camp that we did in Atlanta last December, just realizing like, oh my gosh, I am entrepreneurial. I do think there's so many things I can do. And I agree with you, you are and you can, but there's no shortcut to understanding from a more holistic perspective, what are the skills that I need to be able to have in my repertoire to really be able to own a business and execute a business in a, a sustainable way, in a way that focuses relentlessly on clinical quality and really to be able to feel like you can do it with some good skills so you can operate with sustainability and confidence. And, and that's what I want to talk a lot about. And, and I, in no way, shape, or form would ever uh, be dismissive about anyone that's interested in wanting to start a business because I did. And I started it out of my kitchen in East Oakland. And I kind of slowly and systematically built it up. And I made horrendous errors. But I was operating in a very different environment where there was probably a little more room for forgiveness, where I wasn't drawing down healthcare dollars, which was, from my perspective, the biggest change that's happened in our discipline over the last 10 years. And so this is just a, a different environment that requires different skill sets. And I just want to make sure that people understand what those are. And also to one of your earlier points, um, the idea that obtaining ongoing supervision and mentorship is just a, a critical piece of developing as a professional. And the great thing about our world now is we're all connected. Uh, and so even though you are in New Hampshire, maybe it might be more challenging to obtain that in-person mentorship and supervision, but now there's so many different outlets where really you can access anyone. And what I'm more interested in is, is really kind of pointing people in the right direction of, well, what does it mean to have appropriate supervision? How do you obtain those mentorship experiences? How do you find people that you might want to be working with? And, and that's really been the, the thrust of the work that I've been doing for the last, you know, three or four months since I exited STE. And that's what I love so much about um, I saw your video on Facebook about, and we can, you know, we're, we're jumping everywhere, but the behavior yeah. analyst leadership council, leadership council. That yes. yeah, that you're um, now, you know, consulting with and yeah. making that leadership for the newly minted BCBAs that, you know, the RBTs and creating mm -hmm. that, 
Um, you know, again, maybe it's not in New Hampshire right here in person, but maybe it's, you know, online. I see these people in the field for 30 years or you 20 years, all this experience. And I just want to soak that up like a sponge and <laughs> have all that information. Um, I will tell you, I just left my, or I'm leaving my job on the, on the 9th of October. Um, because, and, and it's, one of the big things is that I got thrown into a clinical director position as a newly minted, minted BCBA, and I felt very overwhelmed, no supervision. And I realized I had to be the one, the money was great. Like, of course, but sure. I, I was realizing ethically my scope, you know, Matthew Broadhead says it the best. There's a difference between yes. your scope. I was of just going to quote his article. Your, <laughs> your scope of competency and your certification are not the same. They're not, not the same. Nope. Your scope of practice versus your scope of competency are not the same. So yes, my scope of practice as a BCBA, yeah, I could be able to do all those things. But have I actually come into contact with that contingency and actually been trained in X, Y, and Z? No, I have not yet. I have not had that experience. And I had to be the one to say, I need to take a step back. I, you, this role is for someone with maybe you know, I'm not going to put a number, but say 10 to 20 years experience. I don't know, leading people doing X, Y, and Z and the skills. And this is a big for, thing for me to admit is that I wasn't there yet. I was put into a position that I was not ready for. And I could have just stayed in it and, and had imposter syndrome forever and, you know, made money, but I did not, I could not ethically do that. And so that was my first ethical dilemma situation in the field. And I think I handled it very well. Yeah. Because I, mean, I think something that's of critical importance for behavior analysts to understand, if you look at the professional and ethical compliance code, the first section is about the responsible conduct of behavior analysts. And section 1.02 talks specifically about your boundaries of competence. And it says two things. The first is that we will provide services, teach and conduct research only within the boundaries of our competence, defined as being commensurate with our education, training, and supervised experience. The second is that we provide services, teach, or conduct research in areas only after we have first undertook appropriate study, training, supervision, and or consultation from people who are competent in those areas. And obviously within those definitions and, you know, it's like the devil's in the details, right? Well, how do you define, you know, appropriate training? How do you define appropriate supervised experience? And so that's where you have people like Matt Broadhead out of Michigan State uh, David Cox, Sean Quigley, really pushing um, this issue. Uh, you see a lot of, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to listen to Justin Leake speak before from yep, Autism, I went to his Autism conference. Foundation. Yeah, and he's a really close fr friend of mine to really have behavior analysts understand. And, and I say this all the time, and anyone that knows me is just going to roll their eyes because they're like, Sarah, this is your soapbox. But I'm stepping on it for a minute, honey, and y'all are going to listen to me. Your Hop up there, baby. Yeah, I'm already there. Your certificate. <laughs> is a floor of competency, not the ceiling. It's just the floor. It's just your, the certificate functions as a validation that you know certain things. That doesn't mean that you're competent in doing them. It's just saying that you know them, that you've met this minimum standard. It's a minimum standard. And it has been a minimum standard for someone like me that's been certified for 15 years that we have seen the BACB put tremendous effort in continually evolving uh, you know, changing to make it, you know, as comprehensive as possible to really ensure that people that are a qualified to sit for this exam 
you know, have done all of the work that they're supposed to be doing, that we're always iterating in terms of the, the, the different types of competencies that people need to display. But it's still, again, just a minimum standard. And that's how certifications work. Um, and so looking at the Section 1.03 of the Behavior Analyst uh, Professional and Ethical Compliance Code, the whole idea is that you're going to maintain competence through professional development. And that's where I think a lot of this conversation is going is, again, you, you obtain your, you know, the, your four letters behind your name. You're super stoked about it. If you reside in a state where there's licensure, you also might get to put LBA after your letters. And so now, you know, you're feeling amazing and you should feel amazing because that's a great accomplishment. But girl, it's just the start. It's just the start. And so I think really giving some guidance in terms of like, okay, now what is the most important thing for new behavior analysts to think about and really being able to go to reputable sources for the now what is something that's important. And I think it's really great that you and Liat are doing this podcast to really try to help provide guidance and help because people are stressed out. You know, it's the, it's a behavior analyst job market right now. And to your you know earlier point, Casey, you said, Hey, I was put into this clinical director position. They're paying me great money. That's awesome. I am not prepared to be able to engage in all of these activities that are needed in order for me to successfully execute this job. And I see that a lot. I mean, I live in California um, and this is, you know, I call California ground zero. I have the highest concentration of behavior analysts in the world. We account for 30% of all BCBA jobs mandata in the country. And that's based on um, burning glass data that the BACB has provided me. It's really, really fascinating. And so what we see often is that, you know, different agencies, well, maybe, you know, tell a behavior analyst like, oh, I'll pay you another $5,000 or another $10,000 to kind of lure them from another agency because that BCBA credential has become synonymous with being able to bill the highest rate through behavioral health care in our country. And now, of course, we have all 50 states have passed some form of autism um, insurance mandates. And so this has created, I think, this environment where there are, you know, kind of competing contingencies for people to make employment choices. But one really, really great resource, and I don't know if you, Casey, have experience with this article, David Cox, who actually used to work for me and now is doing his postdoc at Johns Hopkins, uh, wrote a great article, uh, or he was the lead author of an article about how do you choose an ethical place to work? Like, what are indices of a place that you think would be a great place that's going to provide you with appropriate supervision that's really going to help you enhance your clinical skills? And I would really encourage people that are listening to this podcast to read that. It's a, you know, Thought. Oh my God. Um, okay. And identify ethical practices and organizations prior to employment. Actually, I, I'm totally woo, dripping back on it. He's the lead author <laughs> on it, but Sean and David are, it was, uh, I, let's see, first found in the behavior analysis and practice 2018 and yeah, you know, it's published February 26th. Again, it's a great article. I love it. And I saw Sean at the Endicott Ethics Conference that we both spoke at in August. And I was like, bro, this is amazing. It's really cool, great. We need to disseminate this much, much more. And I think that's so, an ongoing thing in the field. I'm, you know, talking with Ryan O'Donnell, talking with um, yeah. Ryan Sane from Sitecore and you and just the dissemination of our field in general, especially to the newer BCBAs and sharing, you know, experience, but also uh, like I think the most important thing is, okay, you're a BCBA. You just became one. You have those letters, like you were saying. But mm -hmm. the most important thing is that you are providing quality and yep. ethical care to your clients, okay? 
Yes. So, so if you don't know how to conduct a VB map, if you don't know how to do a functional assessment, because in your coursework, you may have touched on it, but you may not know. And in your supervision, you may or may not have gotten good supervision enough to do that. You need to be honest and upfront to your clients. You owe it to them. This is my soapbox. Okay. <laughs> you yeah. owe it to them to say to your employer to say, I need a little bit of help in this before I feel comfortable taking this on. And I'm saying this yeah. just in my own world is that if you don't, and if you just go through life and go through your field and go through your career, just practicing outside of your scope of competency, it's going to come back and bite you in the ass. I need you to listen up as <laughs> this is my soapbox. I told you, mm -hmm. but I'm serious. Um, it's very important to go out. So what I do and what I found myself doing as a new BCBA is first accepting my you know, areas that I may not be fully competent in honoring the areas that I do feel comfortable in. I know, and Sarah men mentions this a lot is soft skills are very, very important. They are not taught in, you know, your, no. your BCBA program and no. having those soft skills, being able to connect with families, connect with clients, you know, take your BCBA hat off for a second and be able to, um, you know, connect with people is really, really important and not being so I'm just a BCBA and these are my terms and you don't practice within my guidelines, blah, blah, blah. But soft skills are really, really important to have. Yeah. Do you and... know what I call that, Casey? I call that the don't be an asshole clause. Don't <laughs> yeah. be an asshole. And I can't Love emphasize that. how, I mean, it's, you know, because if you speak to, especially families of recipients of our service, I also have a number of my friends that are both moms of children or young adults on the autism spectrum and also behavior analysts, I'm telling you, our bedside manner needs some fine tuning. Holy Absolutely. moly. And I think that something that has become really challenging in our field and, and Justin Leaf is definitely someone that, that speaks on this a lot is the fact that, you know, because there are, there's such a demand for behavior analysts, a lot of graduate programs have placed tremendous emphasis on training people in the way, in a way that they will be able to, to pass this exam. Um, and so a lot of people tend to be very protocol driven with the clinical treatment that they choose to recommend for the populations that they work with. And so the, it breeds kind of this rigidity. And I think it's not from a bad place. It's from a place of, of not wanting to screw up. I mean, behavior analysts are the most rule governed people I know because they don't want to make a mistake. But let me tell you, you, just nailed if, it. you can't, if you can't establish a positive therapeutic relationship and an article that I will reference that I am obsessed with forever for the rest of my life is this article by Bridget Taylor, Linda LeBlanc, and Melissa Nosick on compassionate care and the whole idea of establishing a positive therapeutic relationship. Um, you are going to have people that are going to be less likely to, to engage in behavior analytic in, interventions. And so what I'm trying to say in a very salient way is if you're an asshole, people won't want to work with you, which means that people that really, really need behavior analytic services to help change their lives are not going to get them. So don't do that. Don't. No, you need to it's not hashtag pair with your stakeholders, yes. pair with your clients. That is first yes. and foremost, you need yes. to go out and be like, I am, you know, say you go into a school, you know, um, Matt Sicorio has an amazing podcast I listened to. He did one on his own. It was like no guests, just like top 11 reasons of like how to not be an asshole, basically going into school <laughs> systems. It was awesome. He's great. Um, it was really talking about, you know, you're going into a school, you're going into a home. You, they, the parents and the teachers that have been with this student or 
um, child, they know more about their client than you do. You cannot go in there and say, well, as a behavior analyst, I'm going to change X, Y, and Z. You need to go in there with an open mind and say, I am, you know, I am here to take lead from you. I want to see you tell me what you need. You tell me what is happening. I'm not going to come in here and be the magician, right? I'm just a clinician and I am here to help you and support you. And going in, I've noticed going in for me, I thank God I have, I'm a really good, um, you know, people person. I think people mm-hmm. like me. I, <laughs> I come off, you know, parents and families really love me and love my support. And I, and again, I may not know everything that is, um, behavior analytic with all the stuff in this and that and no one knows everything no one knows everything that's also a real issue in our field is that worry we come off of these know-it-alls and it's like we don't know everything if we knew everything then that means there's nothing left to learn in our science boo how boring i We're love in this that most creative like innovative profession ever and that's also i think a reason why when people tend to become really protocol driven you're making an assumption that there's no other way to do something so are we at the end of our ability to iterate and create Hell no, we're not. Hell, Hell no, no, we're not. But that requires a tremendous amount of expertise and understanding of concepts and being able to practice those concepts. Um, and I think what is lacking for a lot of behavior analysts is being able to be given, you know, quality supervision using a behavior skills training model so they can really practice those competencies, have feedback on it, and then do, demonstrate them again. And one of the reasons I believe that the clinicians in my practice at SCE were so successful is that we were obsessed, obsessed with training and supervision and always working on iterating our training and supervision models to make it better and more systematic and more fun. And that costs a lot of money in my business and where I see people really cutting corners in behavior analysis. And I don't care if you're a nonprofit or for-profit. I think a lot of people draw these arbitrary lines that if you're a nonprofit, that means you're good. If you're for-profit, that means you're bad. That doesn't exist. There's crappy people everywhere, and there's awesome people everywhere. Um, But where I've seen people cut corners in behavior analytics organizations is not providing enough ongoing training, support, supervision, professional development. Um, And that, to me, is the worst thing that you can do in your business. You have to run a business model where you prioritize ongoing training because that means that you're prioritizing clinical outcomes and clinical excellence, and we are nothing if we are not obsessed with what we're doing in terms of our outcomes and what's happening to the recipients of our service, we are human service profession. What's the one thing that we want to, the number one thing that we want to do when behavior analysis is focus on behaviors of social significance. And we can never lose sight of that ever. Agreed. And I think that my one thing I've learned is, and I've seen this in a ton of companies, I've heard it from a ton of my cohorts from my master's program is the lack of supervision, especially that you become a BCBA and they're like, boom, go take a caseload. Done. You're done. (laughs) Please handle all these very high needs cases. And you can maybe check in with us, but probably not because we're busy and here you go. And And, and that's why I'm really going to address that. The whole, the broadhead Quigley and Cox article again is really drilling down pre, you know, job acceptance during the interview process. When you're looking into working in an organization, like, what the heck are you guys doing for professional development? And they even have a table in their article that's really specific. You need to be asking questions about how will this organization support my access to behavior analytic literature? How does this organization support development through continuing access to 
professional conferences? What are the systems in place to help employees engage in ethical behavior? All of, I mean, there's, they, they, they've really systematized this, which I think is, is fantastic. And I, I think a lot of new behavior analysts don't know that these are things they should be attending to. And instead, what they are attending to is, oh, agency A is offering me $10,000 more than agency B. And I'm telling you right now, it's not about the money. And if you do a really kick-butt job and you're an amazing behavior analyst, you will earn money. Don't worry about it. This is a growing profession and the supply and demand curve and especially the demand for our services isn't going away anytime soon. But what will happen is if we have crappy clinical services and crappy clinicians, we will lose our ability to access payer dollars from either commercial funding or Medicaid funding or school districts if our services become ineffective because we're doing a real crappy job with implementation. That will absolutely happen. I see it. And I, I feel like you're describing, I'm like over here, like shaking my head, nodding my head, like, <laughs> yes, yes, queen. yes, queen. yes, speak to my heart, speak to my soul, girl, you're doing it. Like, mm-hmm. that is it. Is and, and you know what, I actually, so I've been very hesitant and scared about leaving my job and finding a new one and, you know, all these things. And I'm just actually sitting here kind of being like, I'm going to actually pat myself on the fucking back because I'm choosing to not take the money. The money is not worth it. You guys, I'm nope. telling you, if you're an ethical, nope. moral person, right. And you want to deliver the best ABA. I understand that things get busy and you may have a big caseload, but if you are not feeling that way, then you need to really find out what place is going to align with your moral and ethical code. Because if not, it will eat you alive. I spent two months of my life and this is nothing to say, about my company, it's not saying anything about their moral, it was, it wasn't even like that. It was just that I felt so impostery like syndrome where I knew I just wasn't there. I knew I didn't have that in me. No money in the world could have changed my mind. I had to, and it's for the best of the company. It's for the best of me. And I will continue to seek out. I have amazing professors where I'm from that run clinics that I have access to get great mentorship. I am making sure that I find that next step in my career. So I get this, like, you know, listening to Sarah's intro about her people that she had, that is so amazing. And a lot of the people I talk to in the field have had really great supervision and mentorship from these people in the field that know what they're friggin' doing. And that mm-hmm. is something that I want all of you guys listening. I know a lot of our listeners, Sarah, are um, people studying for the exam. I, we have a lot of people that are already BCBAs, but our crux is because we run study notes ABA is teaching people how to study for your boards. And it's so much more than that, which is why we developed the podcast to kind of run off that and say, now you passed or you didn't pass, whatever it is, how are you going to also become a good behavior analyst and relate it to every single day of your life? Because that's what it is every single day, right? Sarah, everything you do is behavior analytic. Yes. Right. It's just, it's a way that you approach living and the way you approach your life. I mean, it's not an autism intervention. It's a, it's a way Human. to approach your worldview. Yeah. It's a way to approach the worldview. Mm-hmm. It sure is. So, all right, real quick. I have a few, not real quick, but I have just, I, I'm like looking at my questions. I've got 17 questions. I've asked you one. So. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, we're already like 45 minutes into this. <laughs> so let me just pull out a few of the ones that I think I was like, I need okay. to ask her this while I have her. Cause I'm, this is guys, okay. this is very valuable time. It's the motivating operation I'm in right now is that I'm in an establishing operation. I was in a state of deprivation before. Now I have her. I need to make sure I'm evoking and emitting all the behaviors that I want to while I have her. So 
Um, cool. First one, and this is just a, a kind of a, a personal one, but not, you know, super personal. But so my favorite thing about you is that you're, tr- you're so true to yourself and your style. And people ask me and Liat a lot, um, how, you know, you guys are so unapologetically don't give a fuck kind of thing, which we do. And every day I stress about everything that comes out of my mouth. Is it ethical? Is it this? So have, is that something you have struggled with being in the public eye and being in like the field and following the ethics code and all that stuff? Is that, have you ever encountered things like that? Yes. I mean, definitely. I, I have like a slogan for myself sometimes every once in a while, I'll put it on my Instagram profile. And I really think that it's true. Uh, I say big hair because if you guys know me, I have naturally curly hair. I usually straighten it when I do professional presentations. But right now, my style is rocking. Like, I'm in, like, two zip codes with my hair. Uh, so I say big hair, big hoops because I love to wear big hoop earrings. Big, big mouth. Yeah. I'm not for everybody because I'm not. And that's okay. I am not for everybody. I definitely, I think, challenge established norms of what you might typically expect from a woman in leadership in behavior analysis. But what I think has been really exciting about our field, especially in the last five to six years, is we're really starting to attend to different types of voices. Um, I think I am so proud of some of the work that we're doing on cultural competencies, um, you know, cultural humility, whatever you want to call it, but really understanding that, wow, we have some, we need to fix some things in our field in terms of how we approach working with different types of populations how we approach working with different colors, different races, different religions, how we talk to each other, how do we approach working with each other when we're coming from different backgrounds. And I have been very excited to see some people coming up in the field and and really being given a platform to talk about how important that is. Uh, Because we're in this kind of divisive environment right now in the United States, and it's sometimes just so ugly. And again, I can't help but think that we are in a prime position as behavior analysts to help not only change that narrative amongst our own field and culture, but really change that narrative nationally um, and to really give tools of understanding um, because it's all about information understanding. Uh, and so I, you know, I definitely have had experiences where I feel that people have minimized me. I'm also a master's level behavior analyst. I'm not a PhD. And in our field, you know, academia is, I think, more respected than clinicians that have been kind of toiling in practice. But I will also say that I am a very proud master's level behavior analyst because guess what? We account for over 80% of certificates. We are the field. We are the field. And so I will not feel that I'm lesser than because I do not have a PhD. I have over 20 years of experience and 15 years running a company that I was proud of every single day. I don't feel bad about that. Um, and As I, you do not. You about- are so amazing with the company, I mean, when I first, again, heard that podcast and heard you talk about how you started this yeah. from your kitchen, freaking kitchen, and in school systems, and then you went through the whole insurance changes, and you built this huge, amazing company, and you brought, my favorite thing about you, Sarah, I don't think I've ever told you this, but when I listened to that podcast, you said, um, we, I don't care if you know, if you can recite to me everything from Cooper or everything the task list, mm-hmm. if you're not fun, we're not hiring mm-hmm. you. Like, oh, hell I, no, we're not hiring you. No, it's I not love happening. That. Yeah. Yeah. If you can't, if you can't build rapport and just like be goofy and play and hang out, you're useless to me. I can teach you the technology and we have all of the training rubrics and protocols and, you know, the PowerPoint and the feedback. We have all of that stuff. But if fundamentally you're just a person that no one else wants to be around and we're in a human service industry, excuse me, not happening. No, thank you. 
Um, right. But I was going to make one more point about kind of my persona. I will say that I've benefited tremendously from um, mentoring from Pat Fryman. He has become someone that I just enjoy spending time with tremendously. And I'm actually going to be able to see him. I'll be in Boys Town next month. Um, this will be my second trip there. And I went there for the first time last year and I cried because it was so transformative. It was so great to hear him and listen to the work that he's doing and the family teaching model that they use there. That's based out of work that was at the University of Kansas is amazing. You know, Pat studied under Bear Wolf at Risley. I mean, like he has like some pretty great pedigree, but he's also just like a pretty radical little dude and he's really authentic. And he has written a lot of different articles and I'm sure you guys, you know, maybe you have referenced them or have it in some of your classes and prepping people to take the exam in terms of dissemination, front of the room. He also has some really nice research that they've done um, that has nothing to do with autism, which I find really fascinating. Um, but his whole thing is you got to figure out like who you are on stage and you just got to run with it. Like people can weed out people that are, are not authentic and are trying to be something that they're not. And, and I realized, you know, who am I? I am the girl with the big hair and the big mouth and I love tennis shoes. And part of it also is because I'm a middle-aged mother and my back hurts. I'm not wearing heels on stage anymore because my freaking back hurts and I'm not going to be in back pain while I present. And I also like hip hop. Um, and I have a lot of other interests outside of behavior analysis too. And I think once I allowed myself the freedom to embrace me fully, that's when I became a better speaker because I wasn't worried about the little stuff. And I think in terms of like the ethical code, it's something that I continue to study and think about all the time. I read and research all the time. I have conversations with people in our fields all the time. But what I think everyone needs to understand is if you're so afraid to take the first step, that means you're doing nothing. And that's why I really feel like we haven't achieved Skinner's, you know, whole vision of really behavioralizing the world because people are afraid to take the first step. They're afraid to, to put themselves out there. They're afraid to make a mistake. And it's like, guess what? I have a new splash for you. We all make mistakes and we all do stupid crap all the time. And you're going to live through it. And if you never take a chance, you're never going to know how freaking amazing you can be. And so I had to like free myself from those things. And I had to free myself from caring about people that are hating on me and just say, this is my message. I think that I can be someone that can really help bring this field together because we really need it right now. I think I can be someone, you know, that can help connect people and create relationships and mentor opportunities because we really need it right now. And so I was like, okay, that's what I'm doing. And so that's what I've been doing. And you've been crushing the scene <laughs> since that day, okay? <laughs> Whatever day it was that you realized that you were going to do this. And I think it was, it was like a, it was, it was a process over time. It wasn't like I woke up one day <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, hello, like hashtag flawless. I'm doing this. <laughs> it was more, you know, with excessive experiences. And part of it also is with fluency, right? I mean, Pat writes a lot about when you're doing those, you know, mastering the front of the room, the idea that you are preparing for what you're, you're talking about, you know how to make your point frequently, you know how to be emphatic about it, you know how to make sure you have the audience um, really attend to what you're saying. And, and so part of this is also just confidence built over multiple, you know, exposures to A, things that I find really scary, but B, also the reinforcement that comes from speaking from that audience, from having people laugh at my jokes, from having people you know, clap for me when I'm done. Um, and you, again, you just really build that fluency, but you have to be willing to take the first step. You have to be willing to do it. And you just can't be afraid because are you going to do it perfectly? No. And again, guess what? No one's going to die and the earth is going to still be able to rotate on its axis and the sun will rise and, and set in the next day. So it's fine. Like, just do it. 
There's so many light bulb moments and so many amazing quotes that you're having in this episode. I can't wait to have Alan and I go through this and be like, <laughs> pull this one out, pull this one out. Like people right now, I hope you're sitting on the edge of your seat, motivated AF, <laughs> to just be the best behavior analyst that you can be and seek the most amazing mentorship you can seek. And, yep. and, you know, for me, I, same thing. I, 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 okay. I've got to say this one quick story. Cause it's kind of funny. And it's like, I didn't, I was like, should I tell her? Should I not tell her? <laughs> like, so I went to, uh, but again, keeping real and honest in who you are, right? Um, I went to Georgia to see Sarah at the uh, Business Builders Behavior Conference. I convinced mm -hmm. my work. I had to go. I had to do it. They had to pay for it. I had to go. I had to go. I got to see her. I got to yeah. go now. So we were Facebook messaging. I don't know if you even remember this, <laughs> but uh, the plan was, I, and I was like, I can't believe she's responding to me. Oh my gosh. Like we're going to be in the gym at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. And I was like, there. I know you, girlfriend. I'm sure you were. And I, so my sister and lives in Georgia and she, I had never been, she's my stepsister, but I had never been down there to see her. So I ended up going out with her and she's showing me out. We're, you know, indulging a little too much. And, um, mm -hmm. I know Atlanta I, is a fun place. I love that city. Oh my gosh. It's so much fun. I had never been. Of course, so I wake up at five and I feel like total dog shit. I'm like, I'm letting down my idol right now. I can't go. I'm going to like die. And then I, I totally pussied out and didn't come and introduce myself because I was, it was out of my comfort zone. A, I, again, so I, you know, did not go meet Sarah. I didn't, but our universes have now connected us back to where I am, you know, put myself out there to do this podcast and say, I know this scares me every single time I do it. It's something that's out of my comfort zone, but something that I feel so incredibly passionate about. And so now Sarah's here and I'm, <laughs> I'm actually going to Texava and I will introduce myself and we will meet on <laughs> that yes. time. Yes. But the universe is there for a reason. And I just, I had to tell her, I'm like, girlfriend, I was way too hungover to come see you at the gym. You're a badass it's all the time. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, and again, part of it is I travel a lot. And the only way that I have learned to really kind of condition my body to be able to function in a lot of different time zones is to keep my rigid, you know, workout schedule. And it's also a really nice way for me to be present at where I am at that time. Um, I work out to clear my head. I work out to listen to my favorite hip hop music. I work out. So then I, my reinforcer after my workouts is a Starbucks cold brew coffee. Anyone that knows me knows that like my one vice in life is like caffeine. You know, do I eat too many carbs? No. Do I like drink heavily? Not really, but caffeine is my jam. And so I do my workout and then I get my Starbucks cold brew coffee. Everyone at my local Starbucks near my gym knows me and they already have it ready for me every morning and I don't even have to order it because they are, are amazing. Um, so yeah, I'm the workout thing. Yeah, it, it is. And that's just been something that I've had to do in order to just keep saying when I'm in like four or five different time zones in like a two week period, which, you know, happens frequently. Um, but I'm not, I, girl, I also think it's fun to have a good time, especially because Atlanta, I mean, the ACL, please. So yeah, you're going to get to hang out with me on Friday, October 11th. So this is a really exciting event. It's the ABA Business Bootcamp that the, both the Behavior Analyst Leadership Council, for which I'm the Director of Development, and Texas, the Texas Association for Behavior Analysis, are partnering to bring to Houston. And we're going to be at the Royal Sinesta Hotel, which is lovely, and will also be the hotel where the Texaba conference will be taking place in April of 2020, just FYI. And we had a really fun lineup. I'll be talking about recruiting and retaining talent, 
Suzanne Lesso, who's the president of the BALC and one of my mentors and one of my most favorite women and is also a behavior analyst. She also has an adult son with autism. Is going to be talking about operational expertise. And we have Lori Marcus and Lindsay Smith from Texana Center, which is fantastic. It's a fantastic organization out of Houston talking about HIPAA compliance, uh, client confidentiality. And then we're going to end the day with one of my very close friends, Ryan O'Donnell who is going to be talking about leveraging your business and marketing on social media and how to do it from an ethical perspective. And I think Ryan is a, a really great exemplar of that, of someone that's really making moves in behavior analysis. He really has his own style. I really like the questions that he's asking, the people that he's putting in front of his you know, social media. Um, and, but I think a lot of behavior analytic organizations don't know how to leverage that outlet to really increase um, their uh, ability to serve more kids and really to attract the top talent um, and really be able to tell their story and make sure that parents, you know, can work with these wonderful organizations that are doing good work. So it's going to be an awesome day. We're going to have a panel at the end. We'll probably go have a happy hour after that because let's be honest, if you're sitting in a room for six hours, you might need to have like some crudite and a cocktail at the end of the day. So it's going to be a, a, a day that I'm really excited about. And I know that you already said that you're going to put the information in the notes for the podcast, but we have space available. You'll be able to earn six CACBCEs, including two ethics CEs, and I'll be there. So, hello. Come I mean, duh. Me. You guys are I'll stupid be. if you're missing out. You got again, <laughs> Ryan O'Donnell, Sarah Trotman, yep. Esslinger, yep. and the other two who I actually watched in your video, um, the BALC. I loved her. She is about Oh my gosh, Susanna's fantastic. She grew up in this like political household. She is about five feet tall. And I'm telling you, I would never mess with Suzanne. She runs a tremendous organization in Connecticut, Milestones Behavior Services. She serves on every board in behavior analysis. She's been the recipient of the Jerry Shook Advocacy Award from APBA. She's been on the BACB board, insert every single acronym here. But she's awesome. <laughs> and she's really, really dedicated to help supporting um, early career behavior analyst, just like I am. And so she's wonderful. And both Lindsay and Lori are just champions of HIPAA, client, client confidentiality, really building an environment and really encouraging businesses to conduct themselves in a way that really promotes um, confidentiality and compliance at the forefront of your organization, which is every ABA organization's responsibility, especially for drawing down healthcare dollars. And so they're going to be here and they're super excited to talk. So it's a really nice combination of people that have experiences from different states, experiences with different populations, experiences in different service settings. And so to me, I mean, I curated this group. I really wanted to have a well-rounded group. And, and I believe we have that. And I think it'll also just be dynamic and inspirational. So I'm very excited for it. No, Sarah, you definitely nailed it when you got this group together. When I saw the lineup, I was so excited. I knew I had to go there. And I'm coming. So the whole uh, Ryan O'Donnell thing, if you guys are listening here, he's actually going to be on the podcast next week, which we're so cool. incredibly excited for to have two of the Tech's ABBA business bootcamp speakers on the podcast before the actual event. Yeah, it is a huge, it is so exciting. Um, they are, you two are just doing everything that I want to do at every moment. <laughs> I'm like, ah, like, I just want to get out of New Hampshire. I told my husband, I'm like, uh, we are, he just, thank God, you know, find a supportive partner, find someone who believes in you, believes in your dreams, side note. But when I left my job and, you know, I'm going to find my, 
you know, next thing, but for a month or two, I'm going to go travel to Texas to see them. I'm going to go to Massachusetts to see Ryan at the Tate Behavioral uh, Conference with Matt Sicoria and a bunch of other, Mm -hmm. Megan Miller. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of things that I, I just want to do as, and, and I think that I, I think what my thing I align to is philosophical doubt. Like, I just want to go out and find out everything. And <laughs> what is the most, like, you know, what is happening in our field? I want to be in and up on everything. Um, so I can be the best behavior analyst and learn from these people that have the experience that I may not get in New Hampshire. So if you're someone out mm-hmm. there listening and you're like, I need something, I need some fire under my ass. I need some more inspiration. I'm telling you guys, this is conferences are the way to go. When I went to see her in Georgia, that was my fire under my ass to realize X, Y, and Z. I do know this. I don't know this. I'm, I, you know, Medicaid fraud, Medicaid this, like I needed more support. I learned that from that conference. I never would have, I may have started my own business and been like, holy shit, I'm not ready for this. And I learned Mm -hmm. that I learned so much more invaluable information from that and only to continue to grow by going to these conferences and becoming, you know, part of the movement. We, that's what I think the whole thing, like you and Ryan, both disseminating ABA and a a real life way to everyone is what we're all trying to do. Yes. But I would also say this is something that's really important to me. I know that sometimes conference attendance can be a financial barrier for behavior analysts. And so what I've been really trying to do, both with my work with the Behavior Analyst Leadership Council, and I also work for the California Association for Behavior Analysis. Um, so I used to be the, I'm the past president of Calaba, and then once I transitioned out of STE, I now am a paid development consultant for them. And one of the things that we've really been working on, I've been working with Matt McAleer, the executive director and the board of directors, is offering continuing education opportunities via webinars. We're doing that with RBTs right now in our next RBT webinar is October 16th with Dr. Megan Peisman, and it's all about uh, building rapport, establishing yourself as a reinforcer with clients. It's free. I'm going to both live, do a Zoom webinar live, and I'll do it Facebook live. I mean, I'm like totally getting into like my technological nerdy self. I did it last month with, um, or this month, earlier this month with Tyra Sellers, and I was just like sweating bullets, but it was great. No, so you killed we, it. Like, I watched it. You were so good yeah, well, and calm. Well, oh, I, you should have seen like the back of my, like my shirt was just like soaked in sweat. <laughs> Um, but we'll, we, you know, we'll record it. We save it on the Calibre Facebook page. I also created a box folder of all supporting documents and articles. I'm going to do the same thing for Megan. We're going to have another webinar on RBT's, um, how to, to ensure that you're receiving appropriate supervision. That's going to be with Dr. Allison Bickelman in November. Also, Calaba has this great webinar that's going to be happening on October 18th. And this is for BCBAs with Dr. Rachel Taylor and Dr. Justin Leaf on conducting research in applied settings. That's free for Calaba members. If you're a non-member and you want CEs, I think that we're charging like 25 bucks. But I just, I just want to say that I love the conferences. I agree that there's really nothing that takes the place of having that in-person interaction. But I also understand sometimes, especially for people that have young children at home, especially if there are financial barriers, especially if there's other competing kind of contingencies on your time, that there are ways to continue to make sure that you're obtaining that professional development that you need to do to both make a BACB professional and ethical compliance code, but also really to make you feel more happy as a professional to continue to obtain inspiration, to continue to allow you to meet and understand new people, to expose you to different components of behavior analysis. So I think it's really important for anyone that's involved in leadership in this field to ensure that we're not just doing conferences, that we're really hitting it on multiple, in multiple ways. And I think Ryan does a really good job of that as well. He does. He absolutely does. One of the things, and I'm so happy that you kind of circled around to that because 
I living in New Hampshire, it's hard for me to travel all these places. And I, you know, I'm lucky mm-hmm. enough to go out to Texas for this one. And Mass is right in you know my backyard. I can drive. But I've done a bunch of um, conferences and streaming online thanks to Ryan O'Donnell. I did this uh, skills assessment conference online where I think I got 16 CEUs. It was a two-day conference um, with Megan Miller, Ryan O'Donnell, a few other amazing people. And I was able to sit in my own house actually after the fact too, because it was during my workday. So I couldn't take off time at that point. It was pre-recorded and you had a month to finish it and answer the questions mm-hmm. and learn and you know, that's amazing to get almost half your CEUs. And it was very affordable. I'm telling you, like, I think it was 130 bucks, like very affordable. And that is, again, disseminating ABA, it should be open and and available to so many people, which is where I think, and I hope, and I can see we're all going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, one last question. I know that we're already at like yeah. almost an hour, but I could sit here for the rest of my life and talk to you. So I can't wait to have a drink <laughs> with you at TechSava. Um, I think one of the um, just important things for our listeners as new BCBAs, if you could give them any piece of advice as a new BCBA, thinking about starting their own business um, or even just starting in any career like level, what would you say? If I could, one piece of advice would be to seek out a business that you can work for where you will obtain tremendous mentorship and support. Um, and, and not just from in a behavior analytic way, but also just as a person. And that's one thing that was really important to me when I worked at Spectrum Center and why I moved to California from Washington State when I was 22 years old is because I interviewed at Spectrum. And I met Tyra and I realized that she was someone that was going to be able to really support all of me. She was going to be able to support my ongoing behavior analytic development and my clinical skills. She was going to be able to support me as a a friend. Uh, She was going to be able to support me to do great things. And, And that's what's so critical. And honestly, I think that really helped to guide and make me part of the person I am now. And I actually have never told her that. And I really should. Um, so hopefully she'll listen to this podcast or I'll just send her the podcast so she can listen to it and realize the kind of role that she played. Uh, and again, I, I don't want to suggest that new behavior analysts can't start businesses. You can frankly do whatever you want. And there's a lot of um, states where that make it very easy to start new businesses. But to me, really being able to work within a group that's going to support your professional development, that's going to support you as a person, that's going to ensure that you can have a, a work-life balance. Um, that's going to give you rich opportunities uh, to engage in professional development that are conferences and, and webinars and meetings and one-on-one supervision and access to articles. That's, that's the stuff. Uh, and you want to work with someone that you like. And I wrote a, something, I think, on a LinkedIn post, I don't know, a couple months ago. And I said, I just made this decision in my life, especially after selling my business that I loved so much after 15 years and working for people that I cared about so deeply that I will never work for someone that I just don't think is the best thing ever. Um, and so that's what I would encourage for young behavior analysts. It's find someone to work with you that's going to guide you, that's going to care for you, that's going to grow you, that has your back. And you will never regret that decision. You will never regret if you took ten or $15,000 less to be in an organization that is doing good things and encourages you to do good things. That is time that you are investing in yourself. And that has no dollar value. It's unlimited. Everyone out there right now listening, I hope you're 
feeling the same way I'm feeling pretty friggin' good with Sarah's <laughs> advice. I'm telling you, you're, this is just so important for new BCBAs. Cause I am one I'm telling you, I am, I'm almost using mm -hmm. this as a therapy session. <laughs> Tell me what I need. And you are so right. And I hope that, um, Tyra does listen and you know, you yes. promote this podcast, but most importantly, the, and I'm so excited that you came on to say this because it's something that I've wanted to talk about a lot on the podcast is as we're kind of, we kind of kept the podcast very wide to draw in listeners, but want to also bring it back into behavior analysis, actual like groundwork and how important getting your supervision and getting mentors and learning and understanding and not just thinking that you know everything because you have those four letters after your name. It is crucial to providing quality super quality care, quality, everything to the people that we are serving. And Sarah, you just, I mean, thank God for you that you came up and you are a pioneer female rock star representing behavior analysis. I'm telling you, you are crushing life every day. I hope you feel that way. I, I don't say I, I honestly, like, I don't feel that way all the time. I mean, like none of us do, right? Like people are like, right. Oh, keep it 100. Like, let's be real. Sometimes you're like, I'm keeping it at about 5% and that's what I can do today. But what I try to focus on is again, like I try to keep in contact with people that I find reinforcing as much as possible. I try and make sure that I continue to challenge myself to grow and to learn and to look at the feedback and to absorb everything. Um, and then I try to give myself a little grace when I'm having an off day and maybe I'm going to have one of those petite vanilla scones at Starbucks and I don't care and it's fine and it's I'll do fine. a couple extra minutes on the treadmill. Um, but I think, you know, and again, to kind of reference Bridget Taylor, Linda LeBlanc and Melissa Nosek's article on uh, really engaging in compassionate care. One very clear point that they make is that you can't provide compassionate care for anyone else unless you do it for yourself first. Um, and so do that. Absolutely. Care for yourself. That was another, and I'm glad, I'm glad you said mm -hmm. that because that was one of another question I said is how the F do you do it, girl? You are this Calaba cast, but you're BALC, you are STE, you have two amazing teenage children, you're in the gym working out that sexy ass all the time. <laughs> like, how do you do it? <laughs> so, thank you for saying that, allowing yourself the grace and compassion to. Yep. Serve yourself first because you cannot serve anybody else if you do not nope. fill your cup first. Nope. If you're burnt out, if you're exhausted, it, you know, you're not going to be great for anybody. And that's no matter what discipline that you work in is you got to really, really take care of yourself and do the things. Uh, my father always uses this expression. He's like, Sarah, are you choosing things that are life giving to you that give you life? And I'm, and that's a, you know, like a really nice touch point for me when I'm looking at different things that I want to do in life. Is this, this life giving to me? I'm all in meaning. And how do you operationally define life giving, right? Like I would say that it, it makes me happy. It brings me joy. It's something that I have a strong EO for. Uh, if it's not life giving, no, thank you. Next. <laughs> I love that. Strong EO baby establishing operation for that shit because if it's not serving you, if it's not filling your cup, if it's not creating you to feel powerful and in your own person and space, then guess what? It's a fuck no. So yeah. thank you, Sarah. Yeah, it's like the so whole Ariana Grande. Thank you. Next. Yes. Oh, yes. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Next. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs>
Well, I'm glad that you and I rocked out this uh, podcast by ourselves. I we missed Leah so much. First uh, know. ever episode um, with just me, but I think that I had such a strong guest today that it carried it right through amazingly. Sarah, you had so many amazing touch points, light bulb moments, goosebump moments. I can't thank you enough for coming out and talking with us today. Well, you're most welcome. And I'm so glad I, again, I told my kids before I started talking to you, I'm like, if you guys make one sound, there's going to be some major consequences. And they have been quiet as little church mice. So I have to give them some reinforcement for letting me uh, take an hour out of, an hour out of their playtime with me uh, to be able to do this. And this is great. I mean, I love the stuff that you guys are doing. I want to encourage you to continue doing this, uh, you know, to the extent that we can wrap our arms around young, hungry behavior analysts, support them, help them grow. I'm, I'm all about it. I'm all in. Love it. Thank you so much for supporting us and believing in us because this is exactly what we want to create more amazing, ethical, powerful yep. behavior analysts in this field. Um, that's our entire mission. Uh, we love you. Anyone else out there that needs to follow Sarah, go find her. She's unreal. You will be a complete life changer once you find her. Go to Texas. Come see us. Come have a cocktail with us. Um, yeah. But anyways, uh, we'll end with thanking Sarah and also, uh, you know, where to go to subscribe, you know, all that stuff. Behavior Bitches podcast, Behavior Bitches Facebook. Um, as always. So Sarah, you're going to have to end this with me because Liat's not here. So I say I love okay. you and you say mean it. Okay. As always, love you. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who helped us get started. He records our shows. He posts them. He adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing. He sends us teaser episodes. He does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home, your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work. It doesn't matter. He provides the complete podcast studio. All you need is a microphone and you're good. Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. Mm -hmm.